book of Revelation, chapter 6. We're there at last. Revelation 6, we'll be reading just two verses this morning. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. I uh, promised the uh, artist's conception of the scroll when we got to this point. So, uh, this is my idea of possibly what it looked like. Many of you have seen things like this, probably I have, in the movies, particularly in the days of uh, the kings and queens, Henry VIII and so on. <coughs> Uh, they would seal official documents with a special kind of sealing wax. Uh, in fact, the wax that I got actually comes in candle form. You heat it, melt it in a little blob like that, and then uh, if it's really official, you have something like a, uh, a little metal seal. This is my poor man's version here. It's got a little sun on it. But uh, kings would tend to have what was called the royal seal. You probably you can envision what they were like. They tended to be made out of gold. And they would have, like, you know, the lions standing on, beside the shields and eagles and that sort of thing. And they would press that into the wax while it was still warm and soft. It would leave its impression. And then the wax hardens right away. In fact, my wife can testify to the uh, heartaches and pangs it took to uh, make these seals ourselves. But the point is that uh, at that point, this, this becomes a secure document, you see, uh, because the penalty was typically death for anybody to break these seals and look at its contents besides uh, the intended recipient of the document. Okay? So, uh, when it says here that the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lamb, takes this, the scroll and breaks the seals, he's doing what only someone of importance can do with a document like this, and that is actually open it up. And he goes along in the next couple of chapters and breaks the seals one at a time. And as he breaks each seal on the scroll, something happens. Now, as you're going to see, when we go through the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls or the seven vials, it's not always a judgment. It's not always something that comes falling out of the sky on earth. Sometimes it's just an event. And in fact, as we see here, it's, it's a person, actually, as we're going to see. It's, it's actually the Antichrist. And um, much as I would like to simulate the breaking of the seals as I go along, one by one, uh, this was so much work to make, I'm going to preserve it intact. But uh, just so we can say that we broke some seals here, and you can actually see what it's like to break seals on an important document, uh, I have two... Uh, timid but willing volunteers who are ready to come forward now. Come on up, Jake and uh, Michelle. I have... Uh, why don't you come on over here? 
You come over here, Jake, and you stand over here, Michelle. We have a couple of um, official-looking documents here. Okay. And in fact, can you read uh, what it says on the front there, out loud, so everybody can hear you? Okay, a special message for you. So they've now received these official documents with the seals, and uh, they have a surprise inside. So hold them up, show everybody the seals so they can see the seals there, okay? See the blob of wax there with the impression inside. All right, now we're going to break the seals. Go ahead. Open them up. Okay. And you can take out the contents there. Oh, my goodness, okay. Can you read that there, Jake? What does that say? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, good. That was a special message. Okay, the other special message, Michelle? Okay, very good. And you guys can keep all the contents there. Thank you very much. Good job. Okay. So, I hope you uh, can remember that now because that's the last seal you're going to see broken here. Okay. Uh, John has this vision. He sees the Lamb. Remember, uh, they searched heaven and earth to find someone who was uh, worthy to open the scroll, and there was only one found, and that's the Lord Jesus. He opens it, and uh, a voice like a thunder says, Come and see. And when he looked, he saw a white horse, and he who sat on the horse had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, it's significant. The first four seals that are going to be opened are uh, the, the famous four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one is white. And um, he's associated with the Antichrist. We'll see that. We're going to look at other passages this morning. Uh, and the, the, the next one we'll look at, Lord willing, next week, is actually going to be coupled with the phrase lawlessness, which we've been seeing repeatedly in prophecies. So that um, as these seals are open and the stage is set, really the events that are laid out, the, the Antichrist going out and conquering, and the lawlessness that we're going to see really continues through the tribulation period. Remember, the tribulation period is seven years long. We, we went through that uh, already on the timeline. But uh, it's, it's really interesting that uh, in the last seven years of planet Earth, and you need to remember this now, it's not going to be business as usual on planet Earth. People sometimes uh, see dramatizations and uh, societies and governments are all pretty much intact. You know, there's... there's uh, Business is going on as usual. It's not going to be like that. Remember that. God will have taken away uh, the restrainer, that is the Holy Spirit, which holds back evil in the world, first by taking the church, but also uh, I believe he's going to remove the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit, literally, on the hearts of people. So that lawlessness is just going to burst out like a dam breaking. Combine that with uh, the judgments of God falling on the earth, and you're going to have chaos throughout the world. And it's going to be a perfect uh, setting for one man 
to arise, particularly a, a man like this one called the Antichrist. There's going to be, he's going to be like nobody that the world has ever seen except the Lord Jesus. And in fact, that's why he's called the Antichrist. Uh, why don't you turn to 1 John because a lot of people are familiar with that phrase as applying to this key figure in the tribulation. And yet the word itself doesn't appear in the book of Revelation. It's actually found in the book of John, 1 John chapter 2. First John 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. That's where the term Antichrist comes from, and it's right out of the original. It's Antichristos in the original. So it's a transliteration of a word. And... Uh, as we're going to see when we look at the characteristics of this man, Antichrist is a good name for him. Because in many ways, he has the characteristics of the real Christ. For example, he is going to do miracles. He is going to perform signs and wonders. Secondly, he's going to rule over the whole earth. And of course, really, there's only one who... Uh, rightfully should be doing that. And finally, and this is going to be like the, the uh, climax of world history, he's going to be worshipped as God. So in those terrifying aspects, really, because he's going to deceive the world, uh, he, he has characteristics of the real Christ. And yet, uh, inside, if you will, underneath the veneer, he is the very antithesis, the very opposite of the Lord Jesus. Um, and three main ways is that he's a blasphemer. He opposes God. We're going to see that when we look at the passages describing him. He is a deceiver, the greatest deceiver uh, probably that ever lived among men. And uh, he is marked by incredible pride and pompousness, as we'll see. Uh, he's going to be a charismatic figure. And uh, the world is going to fall for him. In fact, as we're going to see, the whole world is going to worship this man. Imagine right now if, if someone arose who actually should begin to perform miracles, real miracles. How would the world account for that? You know, right now we're living in an age that uh, kind of poo-poos that sort of thing. So when someone comes along who really performs miracles... And uh, along with it has such a charismatic uh, carriage and, and eloquence in his speech. Uh, the world's going to fall for this guy. And really, if you think about it, it's fitting in one respect. And that is that the world has rejected the real Christ. And so God is going to let uh, history run its course and the world is going to accept Satan's substitute. Because uh, it's no less a personage than the devil himself who empowers this guy and uh, gives this guy his authority. Okay, well, let's uh, start back now in Daniel. We're going to look at uh, about six passages here. There are many more. But just to get a, an overall summary, many of you are probably already familiar with many of the characteristics of the Antichrist. If 
you've been a Christian for very long, maybe you've read books or heard sermons, and we'll try to uh, explain some of the uh, claims about him that are biblical, that seem to be true. We're going we're gonna to stay away from the speculation, certainly guessing who it is, which uh, many well-meaning uh, people, believers and unbelievers, have done through the centuries, as you know. Uh, one of the famous uh, tricks is, is, is doing what? Taking what number? 666, yeah, 666. And the amazing thing is that if you play enough arithmetic and enough languages, you can make any name come out to 666. And, of course, that's what's happened. So that everybody from uh, um, Julius Caesar to uh, Nero to uh, Napoleon, Hitler, uh, Henry Kissinger, certainly just about every pope that's ever lived, uh, they have gone in and, you know, published how this man's uh, name adds up to 666 in some form or another. In fact, even uh, the famous uh, novel War and Peace by Tolstoy, uh, his main character in there manages to have his own name in uh, French add up to 666. We're not going to get into that sort of thing. In fact, to be honest, I hate to burst your bubble, but it may well be that uh, it's not that the letters of his name add up to this number, 666. Rather, it's interesting that there are three sixes, which is a trinity. And in the uh, tribulation, there is a trinity. There is the devil himself called the great dragon. There is the antichrist who is called the beast out of the sea. And then there is a high priest who is the one who directs worship to the, the antichrist. A triumvirate, a trinity, an unholy trinity, if you will. Six in scripture is a number of man. One short of... Uh, Completion or perfection. Seven tends to be the number of perfection and completion. So that it may simply mean that uh, he is a trinity in that respect, but only a man, even though people worship him as God. Okay, uh, so one of the things many of you I know have probably heard is that the Antichrist will head up a revived Roman Empire. Have you heard that before? And that's rooted really in two chapters here in Daniel. Um, so we'll look at the first one. Maybe you're, many of you are familiar with these two sections. They are, they are really prophecies of a sequence of empires that have come and gone from the world and one that is yet to come. In Daniel chapter 2, verse uh, 31, this is Daniel explaining uh, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar to him. So speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says in verse 31 of Daniel 2, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now, we don't need to speculate on what it means because Daniel tells us most of it here. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. 
And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Okay. So, there were four sections to this image, right? And the first was the head of gold. And uh, Daniel says that represents Nebuchadnezzar, the head of the Babylonian Empire, like the first great empire in history. Okay? You with me? Uh, Verse 39, But after you arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Okay? Uh, And we can look at history. It's pretty easy to figure these out. The next one is the Medo-Persian Empire. It wasn't as great as the Babylonian Empire, just like he says, it was inferior to the Babylonian. But then the next one was a great empire. Many of you would know Alexander the Great. Uh, the Greek Empire, short-lived, but far-ranging. He went all the way from uh, uh, west in Spain to east to India, incredibly, in just a few years, and then died shortly thereafter. Um, so that would be the third kingdom. Now the fourth kingdom. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Verse 40. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another. We'll talk about this in a minute. Just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Okay, do you follow all that? Uh, Let me have you put on your thinking cap. Can you guess what this, uh, what is called the smiting stone, the the stone in the end? That represents someone. You know who it is? Yes, that's right. That's the Lord Jesus. And so the final kingdom, which he heads up, is his own kingdom which begins in the millennial reign, after his return, which occurs after the seven-year tribulation. Okay? That's pretty clear, right? It's going to last forever. That's got to be his kingdom. Now, the interesting thing is that it says that when the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to strike, in particular, this last kingdom. Now, how can that be? Since we left off at Alexander the Great in the third kingdom, and the fourth kingdom seems to be the one that he's striking, which the fourth kingdom is pretty clear what it is. What is it? Yeah, the Roman Empire, that's right. Which did exactly as uh, he describes here. It, it uh, was merciless in the way it, it uh, um, obliterated civilizations. It absorbed all the, the countries that it over, overran and lasted for well over four or five hundred years. It was probably the greatest empire that existed in history. Uh, so, but we know that uh, the Roman Empire itself collapsed around two or three hundred A.D. 
So how can this be? Well, that's uh, where God does again what he's done in other sections of prophecy, where in prophesying something, he just continues through time in one breath. Remember, we looked at that in the prophecies of the Lord Jesus, where in one breath he'll be talking about the sufferings of the Christ, and in the very next breath he'll be talking about the judgments of the tribulation and or the millennial rule, all in one go. And yet there's a huge gap of a couple of thousand years between these two events. Well, we have it again here. There is a gap between the first uh, incarnation, if you will, of the Roman Empire, which is the one we all are familiar with, and the second. And uh, if you want to pick up where the second incarnation begins, it's really verse 41. Let's look at that. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, and so on. He talks about the toes. Uh, he talks about it not adhering to itself. And then finally he talks about it being destroyed by the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to see even more detail on this in a minute. But we can deduce from this that there is going to be uh, another um, conglomerate of kingdoms or kings. We're going to see that in, in uh, chapter 7 when we look at it in the side of the old Roman Empire, in fact, consisting basically of the countries that were in the old Roman Empire. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're living in incredible times because it's happening right before our very eyes. Just as uh, we should still be astounded at the fact that after 2,000 years, little old Israel just arose up out of nowhere in 1948, right where they used to be, uh, setting the stage for the end times, so, for almost 2,000 years, <clears throat> after the collapse of the, of the Roman Empire, the countries of Europe were at each other's throats, and in fact have had wars for each other for centuries. Suddenly, within the last uh, about 40 years, or maybe even 30, uh, the barriers have come down, and it began really with, uh, I remember when I was younger, the common market back in the 60s. Do you, you remember that? Any of you remember the common market? Uh, Europe recognized that as long as they remained independent states fighting each other and competing with each other, they were going to get nowhere. And so, really, uh, it began over uh, mining products, particularly coal, where they all got together and decided, well, we're going to agree on what the prices are going to be and we're going to drop the barriers between the countries and so on. And it was called the common market. And I remember uh, they began to join. It was first like three countries and then four when it got to 10, you're going to find that 10 is the magic number, by the way. Uh, well, I, I remember the Christians going, whoa, here we are. I see a lot of heads nodding. I remember that. 10 European countries in the common market. Here it is. The problem is there were a lot of missing uh, qualifications. For one thing, there was no one ruling over those 10 nations, and that has to happen. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. Uh, well, time went on, and, and the common market has evolved. It then became the... EEC, the economic, European Economic Community, then just the EC, the European Community, they did away with the word economic, and the latest and greatest name, looks like the one that's going to stick, is the EU, the European Union. Now, the number of member nations has uh, come and gone, it's, it's oscillated between 8 and 15, I think it's like 13 now, it changes almost weekly. But again, don't look at that so much. It's just that it's setting the stage for the Antichrist, you see. The barriers are coming down. 
they've agreed on a single uh, unit of currency called the EQ. Uh, many of you have seen uh, the, I have an EQ at home, many of you have seen it. Bill, Bill got it for me before they changed it. Because the uncanny thing about it is when they first minted the EQ, you're not going to believe this if you've never heard this, but uh, the image they picked to put on the coin was a woman on a beast. And I've got it at home. If you want to see it sometime, when we have you over for dinner, ask me and I'll break it out. But that fits right in with the later chapters of, of uh, Revelation. Uh, and it's not coincidental, by the way, because Europa, whom, whom is the goddess, or she may be immortal, I think, uh, that was begotten by a god. I'm not quite clear on the mythology. Anyway, her name was Europa, after which the continent is named, was indeed in mythology a woman riding on a beast coming out of uh, the waters. And that's what you have on this coin. Now, they changed that later. I don't know if some Christian came up and said, hey, you know where you find that image, you know? That fits in with the end times, and, uh, and they changed it. I'm not sure why. But uh, the image is still there representatively in the name Europe through Europa. So, uh, I began a couple of years ago. I like to keep uh, abreast of things like this. So, I'm now, I subscribe to Europe magazine and I get it once a month. And it's very interesting to watch developments in Europe as the nations continue to come together. The barriers are going down. The trade sanctions are being dropped and they're trying to become a community of nations. It's incredible. The Roman Empire is really uh, re uh, reforming right before our very eyes. Now, the missing element, of course, is that uh, the Antichrist is going to rule. It's not just that he's going to be an elected economic uh, decision maker, but he's actually going to rule. We'll see that when we get into chapter 7. But again, it's like Israel back in the land. You see the stage is being set. No one would have guessed this 50 years ago or 100 years ago that uh, the nations of Europe would come together the way they have in the last couple of decades. Uh, I said I was going to comment on this idea that they don't adhere. You saw that in verse 40. It's very interesting uh, that as you read uh, the nations coming together, they really don't stick together very well in spite of all the agreements because of the nationalism of each country. You know, they've got their own languages, they've got their own centuries of traditions and ways of doing things. And so even though they're forced together economically to have to agree on things, it's not a real close cohesion. And I think that's, that's what verse 43 is talking about. But in the tribulation, remember, things are going to change. In the Luke chapter 21, the Lord Jesus talks about the end times. And there is a very interesting verse in there which he uses to characterize the way the world is going to be in the last days. And he says that the nations will be in distress and perplexed. The nations, that's interesting. You know, na national leaders are going to throw up their hands not being able to deal with the cataclysms that are going on around them as well as the lawlessness and anarchy that's taking place. And so, uh, right now, there's no compulsion to have a true ruler over the nations, but in that day, uh, there's going to be a real impetus for that to happen. Okay, let's look at Daniel 7. And God peels back the veil and shows us a little bit more now about the Antichrist, beginning in uh, verse 1. I would jump down to verse uh, 3. Uh, Daniel's, again, uh, have, he's having a vision himself this time. And he says, verse 3, four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, these are going to be representing the same things that the sections of the 
image represented. The same for uh, empires. But we're going to have a lot more detail now on the, the Roman Empire, and particularly its revival, and the Antichrist himself, who really wasn't mentioned back in chapter 2. Verse 4, uh, the first was like a lion. That would be whom? Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, the Babylonian Empire. Very good. And he had eagle's wings. By the way, if you see the old Babylonian uh, architecture, you've seen the lions with the wings of eagles. Very interesting. I watched till his wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given into it. That may be some reference to the... Um, possible uh, salvation of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we're not going to comment on every detail here. It's not, it's not critical. Uh, verse 5, And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. Okay. Remember who that was? What, what empire was that? Yeah, Medo-Persian. Very good. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. That would be whom? That's right, the Greek Empire. Very appropriate, the leopard, because it was, he, he went so fast. It was incredible. It was just a couple of years and he basically just covered you know, the whole Western uh, civilization then. Okay, now we're coming to the Roman. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, just like the Roman Empire, it had huge iron teeth. There's the iron again, this crushing, uh, oppressive, overruling, overbearing power of the Roman Empire. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Here's that number ten. Which, by the way, although it's not, the number is not mentioned, it's, it's interesting that in the previous vision, as you go down the image, the Roman Empire starts here, and it talks about two legs. Well, when the Roman Empire dissolved, it, it actually branched into two empires, right? The east and the west. And the feet, which represented the, the incarnation of the Roman Empire in the last days, there are ten toes. Very interesting. And here, there are ten horns, which represent, by the way, ten uh, powers in the revived Roman Empire. Verse 8, I was considering the horns... And there was another horn, a little horn. Here's the Antichrist, the little horn. Coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, stressing his humanity, and a mouth speaking pompous words. That's not the last we're going to hear of that. He's described throughout Scripture as being like this. Um, let's, okay, and then he has a vision, of course, of the Lord Jesus. Let's jump down to verse 17 and we'll pick up again with the Antichrist and the revived Roman Empire. 17, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth, just like we saw. But the saints of the Most High, now when you see the word saints, be careful, it doesn't always mean the church. It simply means set apart ones. It means believers in the Lord Jesus, whether... Um, the church, or in this case, it'll be believers during the tribulation. Which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces, and so on. Verse 20, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and about the other horn which came up, 
before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. The Antichrist is going to make as his target believers in the Lord Jesus. It's going to be particularly bad during the second half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years. Uh, if you remember, we looked at Daniel 9 before, remember? Uh, this one is going to make a, some kind of a treaty, apparently, with uh, the nation of Israel. So, the, politically speaking, for the first half of the last week, the first three and a half years, there's going to be relatively, relative peace from his point of view. But then he's going to break the treaty halfway through the last week. Remember that? He's going to put a stop to sacrifice and offering, it said. And uh, the Lord Jesus picks up on that in Matthew 24, and he said, when that happens, and he added some more information for us. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, basically he says, get out of there. And that's going to happen right in the middle of the tribulation. And then begins what's called the great tribulation. And then the Antichrist is going to turn his anger to the followers of Christ. And the world's going to be divided into two camps. You're either going to worship the Antichrist are you going to be a worshiper of the Lord Jesus? There's no going to, not going to be any uh, third option. And if you're a follower of Christ in those days, it's going to be uh, a, a time of suffering. As the Lord Jesus said, he said, get out of there because the persecution is going to start. Interestingly, by the way, remember, Satan is the one who is behind the Antichrist, right? Not coincidentally, at that same moment when the Antichrist sets up the image of himself and is worshipped as God, we'll see that in 2 Thessalonians, and that's when Satan is cast out of heaven. And I have a feeling there's a link because uh, when he's cast out in uh, Revelation 12, it says the devil, seeing that he was cast out, realized he had but a short time and, and uh, really uh, persecuted uh, the believers. So he's working in concert with the Antichrist at that time. Uh, okay, uh, he made war against the saints and prevailing against them doesn't mean that uh, they lost their salvation, but uh, he was permitted uh, to martyr. Many, he will be uh, permitted to martyr, many believers. 22, until, this will be the end of the Antichrist, the Ancient of Days came. Who's that? The Lord Jesus, yes. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. That'll be the ushering in of the Millennial Kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. Now, here's, that's really pretty much the first incarnation of the Roman Empire. Now this is the last times. 24, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Ten nations, who knows? Italy, you know, uh, Germany, Spain, we don't know. But there will be ten literal uh, kingdoms, ten kings. And another shall rise after them. That's the Antichrist. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. Now, it's interesting. We're going to see, as we look at the other passages, that the Antichrist will actually rule over ten of the kingdoms. But he only subdues three. Now, uh, I believe that's significant because if you remember back in Revelation where we saw him on the white horse, by the way, the white horse, a great counterfeit of the Lord Jesus because it's the Lord Jesus who comes in chapter 19 on a white horse. Interesting. Well, if you, if you remember, he was armed with a bow. 
but no arrows. I think that's significant because it, it's a, it appears that there's going to be some uh, war, but he, most of his uh, conquering is going to be through diplomacy. After subduing the first three, it appears the other seven just give up. And in fact, they ask the question in uh, Revelation 13, they say, who can make war with the beast? Many of you might remember that verse. So, uh, the, the bow may well be a picture, not so much that he's going out, uh, you know, slaughtering nations, but rather that uh, through his dis- d- uh, displayed power and his charisma, his eloquence, his miracles, uh, the rest are just going to, you know, submit. So, that's the, the ten kings. He shall subdue three. Verse 25, here's this idea again of the pompous words. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Now, if you remember our series on the 70 weeks of Daniel, a time is one, times is two, makes three, and half a time, three and a half. And we'll find this matching with many of the other passages, including Revelation. So he really uh, runs wild, so to speak particularly against the believers, for three and a half years. The last half of the last seven years of planet Earth. And uh, then the Lord Jesus will come and he will be judged. Verse 26, But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, that's the Lord Jesus, is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Okay, you following this? Yes? Okay. Um, I was going to look at uh, Daniel 9, but for the sake of time, we'll skip that. You remember Daniel 9. We looked at it. It's the 70 weeks. And in there, it talked about the prince who is to come. And that's his title there. That's the Antichrist. So let's skip over to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. little more information here on the Antichrist, many which, much of it which supports what we've seen already and a little bit of new stuff as well. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Wow. And uh, verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, another title for the Antichrist, the lawless one, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Uh, What an act of judgment upon the human race. We rejected God's Son, the true Christ, and accept Satan's counterfeit, and in fact, worship him as God. Uh, this guy is going to be some, some individual. 
Okay, finally, uh, Revelation 13. We're going to look at that later, but we can just glance at it now because it does tell us a little bit more about this individual. And again, you'll see a lot of the threads that we picked up in Daniel and we would have uh, gotten in chapter 9 and in Matthew 24. Certainly in 2 Thessalonians 2. You'll see them repeated here. Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, we learn from the rest of Revelation, this is the devil. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. The world's going to worship the devil. And they worshipped the beast. This is worship of the Antichrist. Saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for, here's that number again, this time it's 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. Same, same, same time period. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. We saw that back in Daniel. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Okay. You have met the Antichrist. And uh, without really doing a lot more speculation, we've, we've pretty much deduced all we can about him. He is going to lead, apparently, uh, a form of the revived Roman Empire, which will consist of ten countries over whom he will rule. He will have great power, so much so that the nations of the world will give up, literally, and he will end up ruling the world. He will be a, li- a man like no one has ever seen, uh, who is a, a, a pure, just, a, just a man. Uh, he will perform miracles, great signs, lying wonders, it said. Uh, he's going to ma- be a man of great eloquence. And uh, he's going to deceive the world. And I believe that there are some in this room who will meet him. If you don't come to Christ, it teaches plainly that God is going to send a delusion. And those who have not received the truth before the revealing of the Antichrist will be deluded and believe the lie, his lie. And so God is saying here, that we've talked about history, this is very personal. Choose the real Christ before it's too late. Because when the Antichrist comes, when the, when the true believers are gone and the Antichrist is revealed, the door is going to be closed for those who have heard the gospel and rejected it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning. We thank you that you are going to be the one who triumphs in the end. Thank you that you are the one who overcomes the world. And as great and powerful as this one is that we have read about, Lord, you are greater. 
you are just going to uh, judge him, Lord, with the word of your mouth. And we thank you, Lord, for that final triumph. How we look forward, Lord, to uh, a world that's in its right mind when you will rule and have your rightly place. But right now, Lord, we pray for anyone here who is really on the brink right now of entering those last days. Oh, Lord, we pray that they might not put it off any longer, that they might come to the true Christ, the Savior of their souls. We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.